Hi, I'm a Pastor Gibb, and I'm going to share a family story. My wife's father, Norman, called us and invited us to come and celebrate a birthday for her mother. Her mother's name was Mary. We went to a nice restaurant with small rooms with local art uh, on the walls. And my father-in-law, you know, walked her in by hand and seated her and pushed the chair up and he sat next to her and he had made sure that she was sitting in a certain seat because across from her, there was this one piece of art that she just kept staring at. And eventually he said, oh, are you staring at that? Yeah, I, I really like it. You know, well, who do you think did that? And, and they talked about it, and it's another story about the local artist that, that did it. And they just discussed this all through her supper. And after supper was over, he got up out of his seat and walked over And he took the picture off the wall and handed it to her. And as most people, when they receive a gift like this, they kind of backtrack. And he goes, no, it's yours. And she goes, no, 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 no. And he goes, turn it over. And when she turned it over on the back, there was an envelope. And it said to Mary. And she pulled the envelope off the picture and opened it up. And it said, to Mary, happy birthday, Norman. Gib was stunned. I'm sitting there watching a great expression of love, commitment, relationship from my father-in-law to my mother-in-law. He knew what she would like. Okay, now guys, I'm not setting this up or women to this is the next standard for when you go out, okay? Because this is a pretty impossible standard to jump. But this took planning. He really knew what she liked. And it stemmed from a deep personal relationship with her and his love and commitment to her. I remember it like it had happened this afternoon. Gary Smalley in his book, uh, DNA of Relationships, said, we're made for three great relationships. One is with God, one is with others, and then the other is with ourselves. And all those relationships involve a choice. Tonight, we're here to remember something else that took planning, commitment, and expressed an incredible amount of love in relationship. It's another gift. That cross represents it. It's Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf. That's the first half of the gospel. Christ dying for our sins. The second half is Sunday, 
when we talk about Easter. On the cross, Jesus took what was ours, our iniquities and sins, and he gave us what was his, righteousness and a right relationship with the Father. It's based on him knowing and loving and being committed to us. One of the best-known scriptures is John 3.16. And we're going to read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Who has eternal life? Those who believe. They believe in Jesus. They're not offended by a cross that he died on. They're not offended by Jesus. Nor his plan to redeem us to himself. If we look back in Scripture even further, in the very beginning in Genesis, God created male and female. He planted them in a garden in a place that the Jewish scholars, when they translated from Hebrew into Greek, they described it as paradise, a perfect place, a place of relationship. But Adam and Eve chose to do things their own way, and they rebelled against God. And we see God, even at the end of dealing with Adam and Eve, talks in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That was aimed at Satan and forecasting, foreshadowing a Savior who would come. I'm going to read parts of Isaiah 53, starting with verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then jumping to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. 
and that he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He makes them to be accounted righteous and bears their iniquities. We see this at the cross. He makes intercession for the transgressors. This great passage leads me and my thinking to the words that Jesus shared on the cross. And when we look at the death of Jesus, we see his love and commitment to us. Even while he was on the cross, even while he was on the cross, relationships are seen. And let's look at some of those. In Luke 23, we're going to go through the Luke passages first, starting in verse 32. Two others were criminal. They were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they, were, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Now remember, when you're on a cross, you can't move your arms, okay? On the right, on the left. Think about how limited Jesus was. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him. And they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is king of the Jews. Who was Jesus showing love to when he said, forgive them? To the very people who were killing him who drove the nails into his hands and into his feet. The religious rulers sitting there, standing there, mocking him. Forgive them. What did Jesus teach us? Pastor Jeremy referred to this on Sunday in the Lord's Prayer. forgive. And Jesus on the cross extended who he was to forgive them. Starting in 39, the scene continues. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, 
for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He recognizes this man making a statement of faith and of belief. And what did he do? He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise goes back to Genesis, a place where man has a relationship with God. He's in fellowship with God. He walks with God. The thief a guy who's under condemnation is forgiven by Jesus. This relationship forms right there. He extends him grace. He extends him mercy. It's the same grace that we get when we come to believe. And it's beautiful. In verse 44, It's now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And I'd like to stop on that for just a second and state this is not an eclipse. Have you guys seen an eclipse? Okay? You're standing there. You watch it grow dark. It gets really dark. It gets light. This is a three-hour time of darkness. God is bringing about judgment in the darkness, just like he did in Exodus. It's dark. The light has failed. The curtain on the temple is torn in two. Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Relationship with the thief, relationship with his enemies. And Jesus is also talking about a relationship with his Father. Even though he is being crushed for the sins of the world, the Father has turned away. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. We're going to go back a couple of minutes and look at John 19. Standing at the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, 
Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is not a Christmas Hallmark movie moment. Okay? Jesus is dying on the cross, yet he sees his mother and I've always, you know, this may be a question I get to ask someday. Jesus had brothers and sisters, yet he says, go with John. He's now your son. And John takes her into his home. What's the relationship? He cares about his mom. He cares. He has this relationship with her. At moments, it's a little iffy at times as he's the Messiah. But he has a relationship. He is dying, and he wants to make sure she's taken care of. And I believe that the disciple that Jesus loved is John, the writer of this gospel, and he took her home. Let's go back to Mark. And this is the passage that was referred to up on the screen earlier. When the sixth hour came, it was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about crucifixion. They lay you on a cross. They nail your hands down through the wrist. You can't move. They nail your feet together on a little platform so you can stand up and breathe because eventually you die of asphyxiation. Your muscles just stop working and you can't breathe. Jesus has been beaten the night before. He's close to death. He's in utter anguish physically. Yet he still has this relationship with the Father. And he calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of us have felt that way at one time or another. We felt forsaken, rejected, ignored. And it's painful. And we see the pain in this relationship at this moment. Because he has been with the Father forever. And now there is a physical, human separation in Jesus because of the sin that's being placed on Jesus. Going back to John, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. 
When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's finished. It's done. The work that he came here on earth in relationship with his father that's been planned since the beginning, he's finished with that work to redeem a people to themselves. Why did Jesus die? Because we, like sheep, have gone astray. And very much like sheep, if you've ever been around them, you don't even know it. I don't even know. Because sinning becomes is very natural to us. But because of the love that Jesus and the Father have for us, they had a plan, and it's a gift. Back to Isaiah 53, make many accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So what do we do? Like sitting there that night at a table watching my father-in-law give a great gift to my mother-in-law, something that she would really enjoy. We look at the cross and we ought to be stunned and amazed at the commitment and the planning that God did and the sacrifice to restore us into relationship with Him. If you're an unbeliever and you're sitting there and you go, I've never really heard this before or really understood this before, we need to choose to believe We recognize there's nothing that we can do to gain God's favor. Christ did it all on the cross. There's nothing I can say. There's no actions I can do. There's no sacrifice so great to earn God's pleasure. We need to choose not to be offended by the cross, but to embrace Jesus and what he did for us. Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness. But we have to accept the gift. We have to take it. We have to receive Jesus the greatest gift ever. That's for unbelievers. Believers, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, we have an ongoing relationship with him. And he loves us. And he wants us to come to him and know him better. And he know us better. 
He is with us through the Holy Spirit. He leads us through the days of our lives, moment by moment. We can draw near to Him through reading Scripture, through praying, through worship, and meeting with others that will encourage us, and we can be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son and the relationship that we see through him. Thank you that you planned this, that you love us, that you gave him for us. And we embrace that. It's in Christ's name.